Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. So we're driving to school this morning and listening to Wow in the World, which if you don't know about that, I think it's it's at least in the top 10, but most times it's the number one kid podcast. And yes, kid podcasts are a thing. And it basically plays out like all these different characters are demonstrating uh, different scientific discoveries and they make a skit out of it and it's fun. But what I noticed this morning was their topic was actually teaching kids how to make small talk. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that an interesting topic? And it reminded me, of course, of our ever-present Ford uh, discussion, Family Occupation Recreation Dreams. And they did uh, go into a whole thing about, you know, when you meet a new kid or you meet a new parent, how what should you ask them? You know, you can ask them about their family, you can ask them where they're from, stuff like this. And then they they had one of the characters who, to be honest with you, is the most annoying character, I think, on purpose, like how not to sound. And so he comes on there talking all about himself. And yeah. they were saying, well, don't you – he was, was trying – Was that character a realtor by chance? <laughs> Perhaps. I don't know. He <laughs> maybe should be. But um, so – the other character was they were trying to have a conversation he was trying to make small talk and learn and the the other character said well we talked about this other the other day don't you remember and an annoying guy goes well, i don't remember all i ever do is talk about myself how would i remember what you said to me he definitely was a realtor i know right so but isn't there a lesson in that yeah and i thought how interesting that this is i think this is most popular between like five and eleven or twelve year olds but what a great life skill to get, you know, via a little skit that they're doing, sure. But I thought that, you know, there's a lot of adult lessons in there as well. Yeah, definitely. That's actually pretty amazing because that's yeah. a kid version of F-O-R-D, isn't it? It is. Family Occupation Recreation Dreams. And it was very conversational. And they put it in different lights like, you know, you're on the playground or maybe you're traveling with your parents and, you know, you feel – some kids go shy. I mean, we all know this, right? They could be not our kid, not our kid usually, but you know, sometimes kids will clam up in a new situation. And so it's teaching sort of these life skills probably without the kids even knowing about it. Zoe, actually what she's a master of is, um, in her, what she wears when she's not going to school. Cause that's yeah. uniforms or when she's out and about, she always brings, I don't know how else to describe it other than kid bait, Toy decoy. To yeah. So yeah. she'll bring some Barbies with her and just enough so maybe three or four other kids that can play with them. Mm -hmm. She'll bring – she'll put something on or wear sparkly shoes. She's going to do things to bring other kids to her. Yeah. She's very it's clever. It's a kid magnet. Yeah, sure. she is. But – and again, that's what humans – adult humans do as well. Yeah, it you know? is. So anyway, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun to watch. So predictions. We're talking about yes. real estate predictions. Um, and We started this yesterday. So if you missed the beginning, get caught up because we're, this is a continuation. And I think I uh, go down to the part where it talks about forbearances underneath where that is. Okay. Right, right there. there. Okay. Well, so just to up, bring them up to date, you guys got to go back and listen to the show we did yesterday on, on uh, our predictions. We're going to be um, – I sent Julius – so what is it? Since like maybe four days ago, I've been listening to a lot of 
tech and business and finance and investment type uh, prediction shows because mm-hmm. everyone's coming out with their prediction shows is that time of year. And it's fascinating to me how much ev- everything overlaps no matter what industry it is. True. And with regards to what their predictions are, probably 90%. But there were a few that I thought really were standouts that didn't overlap. And uh, we're going to definitely make sure you guys are aware of those as we go through these points. Because there's a lot of politically motivated predictions that come out that are designed to serve a particular agenda. And I'll give you one in particular mm-hmm. that I was just sharing this with Julie. I don't know. if Did you incorporate this into our notes with regards not, to the, tell me first. the declining population, global population? Yes. We talked about that a little bit a couple of days ago. But, uh, you know, there's there's this thought that bubbles around sometimes that overpopulation is going to cause recession, depression, Mass starvation, starvation it's, it's, yeah, global yeah. warming. You can throw around all the terms that you want to it's, in there. It's dystopian movie, uh, you know, basic Use theme, up all our resources. Theme 2.0, right? I mean, every yeah. sort of dystopian movie is going mm-hmm. to play into this idea that we're going to enter into this massive era of scarcity where there's not going to be enough food and water and, you know, you know, cue your uh, zombie apocalypse music, sure. right? Well, it turns out the exact opposite is true. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of those fascinating things that when if you were – uh, operating as if there was going to be some sort of mass scarcity issues, that does adversely affect your sense of optimism. Indeed. Right? If you Again, it goes back to what we were talking about actually prior to us starting this series on our predictions for 2022. Um, you got to be really careful about what the political agenda is. Unfortunately, most things do have a political agenda behind mm-hmm. anything you intake as far as content. So as far as just that point goes, and we'll be talking about this more in a second, the exact opposite is true. Nowhere in the world are we seeing rising populations. Most people, actually, in most societies, especially Western societies, we're seeing people having fewer kids or no kids. Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing that trend uh, across planet Earth. And there are exceptions. And this is what's fascinating. The groups of people that are having more children are the ones that are uh, religiously based. Mm-hmm. You're seeing more children happening with Mormons and more children happening with uh, Jewish people and more Catholics. Sure. So they're the ones that – so it's just kind of a fascinating trend to keep an mm-hmm. eye on, you know, yes, just to be aware of. But not so much that we're going to have the overpopulation problem that people will sometimes throw around. And you said it, it's global. This is not just a U.S. phenomenon. We, we grew up hearing about two and a half kids per household, right? right. I think it's down to like 1.6 or something in the U.S. And in Europe, it's either that or even a smaller rate. And people are waiting longer to get married. There are people who are never getting married. So you can, you know, spin that off into never, never land. It is not a real problem. But Julie, I do just put a period at the end of the sentence. I do clearly remember you and I are Generation X, Mm -hmm. that they were calling, uh, saying the same thing about our generation, right? They always just seems like there's It's a thing that comes and goes. Right. Again, it's these prevailing themes that, like you said, (laughs) come and go depending on, you know, what year you're in as far as the generation. Well, what I always thought was funny was when we, especially when we first started traveling a lot in our 20s and we would hear about this overpopulation thing and then we'd fly over like nevada yeah, totally <laughs> and there's like houses built right next to each other next to large swaths of land with absolutely nothing well, no utilities no nothing we're from in ohio it's the same way sure i mean the, you've got your main cities and then large amounts of farmland in between not large amounts i mean like the large amounts thousands <laughs> and hundreds of thousands of acres right um, the government still owns a ton of land, both yep. in the U.S. and Canada. So, you know, this is one of those things where you've got to do your own fact-checking. Okay, so I would give you a little bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. I just learned this yesterday. I've heard this before, but I verified it. I actually did some homework on this. Mm-hmm. Guess who in the United States – actually, might no, guess who in the world hmm. – I'll give you a little bit of advanced hint here. Okay. What corporation, okay, mm-hmm. owns more real estate than even 
it used to be, don't say Catholic Church, because it used to be, mm-hmm. right? And at one point it was the uh, Queen Elizabeth, but it's not anymore. So what entity, and it is a corporation, owns more real estate than any uh, anything else in the, on planet Earth? And not BlackRock I know, either. I know. I read this a while ago. I can't remember. It's like Google or Amazon or somebody? Nope. McDonald's. McDonald's? Yep, McDonald's. Wow. Yep. Who so they're, that? they're but because their main uh, their main driver of revenue is real estate, and yes. you know it goes back to the theme of Harris Rules. The whole point of the business is to make profit. And with that mm-hmm. profit, you produce you buy things that basically sure. produce you know passive income for you and asset appreciation. Well, I think we should even when we come out with Harris Rules too, if we ever decide to go through that <laughs> you know horrible <laughs> experience, yeah. that we then will say the whole purpose of making a profit in any business is mm-hmm. to buy real estate. Is to invest in real estate. I right. remember uh, when we were kids, it was roller rinks had a lot of uh, real estate, right? So now people think about McDonald's as hamburgers, but they also have all these real estate holdings. Wait, your point about the roller rinks was this, yeah. even after the roller rinks failed, a lot of those roller rinks turned into big warehouses. They still had an asset. They still had an asset, exactly. Right. So anyway, just different okay. old things. Trying to relate it back to real estate. Right, exactly. So we're going to talk about forbearances. And this is something, um, again, I read the headlines. You guys read the headlines. Though fortunately, it seems like the big um, there was a big surge of BS artists that were trying mm-hmm. to inundate you guys with fear and loathing. The real estate markets were going to crash. No, those guys will come back out of their rabbit holes here, probably in a matter of, matter of months, trying to you know get you freaked out about there going to be some sort of real estate crash in 2022 or 2023 because of all the forbearances. And we have beat on that uh, misinformation as much as we can. But Julie's drilled. Hopefully, you're really clear. And you know they've not all been listening as long as we've been talking about it, but. So forbearances, here's the education piece. Definition of forbearance, it is when your mortgage servicer, that's the company that sends your mortgage statement and manages your loan, or your lender, allows you to pause or reduce your payments for a limited period of time. In the case of the pandemic, it was up to 18 months. Forbearance does not erase what you owe. You'll have to repay any missed or reduced payments in the future through refinance, sale, or just paying it off. Now, everyone was predicting, as you said, Tim, that there would be a tsunami of foreclosures as a result of the 5 million forbearances. That's a lot of forbearances that happened at the beginning and then further into the pandemic. But that did not happen. We are mostly through the woods now, evidenced by the fact that we are actually back to regular levels of forbearance now. It could have been a factor, but it has not played out. Don't pay attention to the social media and YouTube chatter. There are dedicated websites to this. I forget what they're called, but... Uh, They should be going away now. This time is not like that time. Foreclosures are not a thing at this time. It will not be an impact. So why is that? Well, credit is way, way, way higher now, much less risk to lenders. A lot of the stuff that crashed in the housing crash had really crappy credit. We don't have those problems right now. The average credit scores right now are 760 or higher, which is the highest it's ever been. Homeowners have more equity in their homes than ever before, so that means when they sell it, they can pay off the forbearance if necessary. Uh, let's see. And so that that's the conclusion of the four main factors we were talking about at play when making predictions. So yesterday, we talked about demand, inventory, affordability, and interest rates. We've got two additional factors, and then we get to our specific predictions. Okay, two additional factors that we took into consideration when creating these predictions. So you guys Which know, sometimes apply. Which you know, so we are giving all yeah. this information to you so that if you guys are wanting to come up with your own predictions, or if you want to check any the uh, our premises of our predictions, you guys can use the same baseline information. Uh, so you can essentially, you know, create your own uh, predictions, really. The whole point of anything that you're, when you're trying to learn something, you got to learn it from all sides. So Julian and I just shared with you our predictions with regards to there being no 
And again, the only point I'd add to that, Julie, is the government would never in a billion years allow there to be a bunch of foreclosures. It just would never happen. Here's the good news about that. Again, this is not like the previous go-around. It turns out that the forbearance plan was a really good plan to get it people was. through the woods. And that's the whole reason that they did the forbearance plan was so that there wouldn't be a big mess of people missing house And it worked. And it totally worked. Which and is guess great. what's going to happen, guys? It, the banks now, even if the, you know, let's say it's two years from now, you have some issue that you can't make a house payment. And normally you'd basically be missing house payments, going to foreclosure. You call up the bank, the bank's going to have a pathway for you to follow to go into forbearance so you can get your mortgage caught back up. Now, when Julie and I sold real estate, there was no formalized plan like that. No, here was the plan. You pay, you stay. You don't, you won't. Exactly. Get out. And nowadays, it's not like that at all. You can't make your payment. Let's work something out. Can't make it for six months. Let's work something out. A year, let's work something out. And that's what they're going to do because virtually every mortgage essentially is controlled by the U.S. government. And now we have stats that encourage these big lenders to make it okay to extend forbearances and do workouts, which is awesome. So- Let's go to the next two additional factors, which sometimes apply to predictions. Number one is enthusiasm for housing. After the housing crash, people lost their will to buy homes unless they were a, quote, deal for several years. People wondered if the American dream would ever come back or if it would die forever. Eventually, frugality fatigue happened. Rates started to come down. Loans became easier to get. And the enthusiasm came back in a really big way. That's what we're living right now. HGTV, Bravo, even National Geographic channels all have wall-to-wall homes shows on every day. Everyone's an armchair realtor, flipper, investor, or vacation rental expert. The enthusiasm is absolutely there. It's also fascinating, Julie. When we go to the bookstore, and Julie and I love to go to Barnes Mm. & Noble when there is one, right? Right. And we always love to go in and see our book uh, on the shelf that, you know, I don't think that'll ever get old. Nope. But it is fascinating in the business section of books, you see in essentially sometimes motivation section of, you know, all these, you know, quasi-parallels. Right. It's A lot of them are written by these uh, Bravo TV sort of, Real estate famous real kind estate of. celebrity types. exactly yeah. and that's that was not around prior to really uh-uh. probably 2011. So there's a whole generation of people that have come into real estate where being in real estate, being a you know a famous agent or whatever, that's an aspirational thing. Whereas a lot of you who are our age or maybe even older, frankly even younger, you guys will remember real estate was for the most part it didn't attract people that chose real estate, real estate sort of chose them because they were out of options. And yet a lot of people are getting into real estate part-time. But now you have people that are getting into real estate as their first choice as a career, or they're in another career and they want to stop doing whatever it is that they're doing, even if it was a very credentialed career and they want to get real estate licenses. Yeah, well, it's a goal, not a backup plan. Exactly, or a backup to the backup plan, which is what what it had been for generations. Indeed. So number two that sometimes is at play, and it certainly is now, inflation. And again, we refer you back to the Peter Schiff interview that's maybe two weeks old at this point, maybe two and a half, easy to find on your uh, podcast feed. So inflation, in non-inflationary times, inflation still exists, but it's at a much smaller rate and we don't really notice it. Housing prices used to mirror the inflation rate in most markets. You could actually figure out how to price a home based on what somebody paid, then take the inflation rate times the number of years owned and end up with a pretty accurate price. And it was like that for a long time. And that's really what the appraisers would do sometimes too. Absolutely. it's a, It was really a starting point. You would do that first and Let, then you would check your comps and you would you know may, maybe make some adjustments, but let, it was pretty close. Let's frame that out so they yeah. can actually wrap their minds around sure. it. So uh, you used to be able to, for example, let's say the back when the average sale price was around 200000 and I know it's basically <laughs> double that now, but there yeah. was a point when, and not too long ago, where it was uh, 200000 
And what you'd have is you'd have, uh, you could, if you weren't in the house for usually it was going to be, think about it. So if you put the house for sale, you're going to have, let's say collectively a 10% selling fees to sell the property between real estate commissions and closing costs. Taxes. So if that $200,000 house was in, and you have to pay interest on the loan. So if you're in that house for five years and you are paying, let's say $1,500 a month or $18,000 a year, that's, you know, around a hundred thousand dollars a year, most of which went to, uh, to interest. You guys add all the uh, actual cost of owning a home for five to seven years. And then you uh, flushed it out with the net proceeds after selling it. You are lucky in most of the United States to get your down payment back. Even after five years, you would buy a house, and then you'd say, well, I paid 200 for it and I sold it for 250. Okay, but what, what was the interest you paid on that loan? What was the cost of owning the home that was like the roof that you had to replace? That really Caring didn't increase costs, the value. Carrying costs, we would call it. That didn't increase the value. Replacing yeah. the windows, the air conditioners, that didn't, new, those things, you spent you know, $10,000 mm -hmm. on it, it's maybe worth 1,000 more in terms of value. You guys get the point? So ultimately what happens is that the math has pivoted now. Because most of the country is appreciating, what was it, Goldman Sachs, Julia, predicted there's going to be 16% yes. inflation in mm -hmm. home uh, values next year. You can actually get into a house now, and within sometimes a matter of months, you can be ahead of what the carrying costs would yeah. be. So you get to live in a house for free, in essence. Yes, You which, still have to make the payment. <laughs> by the way, click on that. By the way, yep. uh, that also plays into enthusiasm, right? Yep. So these things are intertwined. If you know that you know your payment's going to be this, but the house is doing that, and you know you're basically living for free that's a pretty good reason to be investing in housing but add to this you have now a whole generation read your next point actually that was really good you're right history. here yep okay so right there rising inflation shouldn't deter house hunters from buying a home the chief economist of nar national association of realtors said friday history shows that owning a home has proven to be a good hedge against inflation since the quote whip inflation now days of the 1970s lawrence yoon told the trade group gathered in san diego for its first in-person conference in two years in all but two of the past five decades average home price gains have matched or exceeded the inflation rate yoon said and in the two cases where home prices lagged inflation during the 1980s and the 2000s, they were just a tiny amount below the pace at which the cost of goods increased. So in conclusion, buying real estate will always be a great hedge against inflation. And for most people, the best investment that they can make. So I mentioned I was watching and listening to a lot of financial you know, content, basically. Yes. And the hilarious thing is, even though the big talking heads that are selling their, you know, whatever their securities is, their mutual funds or their this is and their that, mm -hmm. they're all saying buy real estate. I know. Isn't More enthusiasm, and right? They don't, and they don't make any money when you buy real estate. That's right. So for someone who is a you know bigwig from Wall Street saying buy real estate and he has no you know reward for saying that financially benefit. Matter of fact, he could actually have some of his investors sell the investments that he is making money off of mm -hmm. and buy real estate. You got to really be drilling down on how seriously this inflation thing is going to get. I started mm -hmm. out our series uh, on this yesterday or the day before by uh, saying we are all underestimating how significant the inflation, the effects of inflation are going to be, not just financially, but societally. Yes. This is going to be a sea change, monumental, emotional, mm -hmm. you know, horribleness. And, you know, if you look at it in, in a short term, it's going to cause a lot of consternation, a lot of pain and confusion. But long term, if you're looking at where the benefits come from this, it's being strategic and listening to the points we're giving because you guys can then position yourselves to make whatever benefits there are, make the most of this inflationary time. Well, to make good decisions for yourself and also be able to counsel your clients and handle objections like, well, I'll just wait for the market to cool off. 
that sort of thing. And Tim, didn't you just tell me uh, today, uh, speaking of inflation, didn't was it Tyson that said that they were yeah. raising prices? Like chicken which, was yeah. up. I just read this to you, so I yeah. actually remember. Chicken mm-hmm. is there. Uh, Tyson has or is raising prices on chicken by nineteen percent, and pork and beef are going up by thirty three percent. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's a th- think about that. That's Tyson, who is essentially a massive producer. Yes. So they're a low cost uh, producer. Right. We're not talking about high end steaks or right. something like that. We're talking about chicken nuggets, people. Yeah. It's on are, my grocery list. So you're so you're and that's the raw cost of the product. So do you know Julie stuck around with uh, chicken nuggets? So think about this. If you're McDonald's, or if you're making chicken nuggets, the chicken nuggets you're going to make that's just the, the your raw cost has now gone up by say nineteen percent. That doesn't include the cost of the labor to make them, the cost to mm-hmm. manufacture them. So you're going to see in some cases just on chicken nuggets, to Julie's point, you could see the cost of chicken nuggets for your, your little you know, eight-year-old mm-hmm. like ours go up by as much as 50%. So when people start going – so normal lifestyles are going to be adversely affected because of the, of the rising cost. It's not like you can avoid it, you see. So, if, for example, chicken nuggets were expensive and you took your kid to McDonald's. If you go to McDonald's, we don't, but if you did – yeah, and you tell a little Bobby or Susie to order something other than chicken McNuggets. But everything is going to be more expensive. Yes. People in, in our lifetimes, and, you know, Julie and I are basically 50. Well, she's 50. I'm 51. But in our lifetimes – oh, I just said it. I'm only supposed to admit you're 35. Bad, anyway. Bad, bad. So in our lifetimes, we've never really experienced inflation like what we are experiencing and going to experience. So if you think you're noticing gas prices now and food prices now, 12 months from now, it's everyone's going to be talking about it. Now, again, I'm trying to study. I understand that from a numerical perspective, from a financial perspective. I get it. Stuff costs more money. I get it. Um, you know, wage earners are going to be the ones that are affected the, uh, the most because they're going to be their their wage increases are going to happen the slowest, which means they're going to suffer the most. I also get that this rising cost of home prices is going to squeeze out a potential entire generation of people from buying homes because they waited too long. Yes. I get all of that. That's I one understand, of our prediction points, by the way. I understand yeah. all this conceptually and intellectually, but what I don't understand is what happens to society as a result of some experience like this. The only thing that we can hearken back to to truly encapsulate what might happen would be what happened after the housing crash. Mm-hmm. And what then, and you, Julie and I have used the example of what happened after the Great Depression on people's behavior, how it actually sort of, it, I don't know if it literally or just, you know, uh, if it changes the DNA. You know, we talked about the fact that a lot of people are then, they became hoarders after the uh you know, the uh, Great Depression, because stuff became hard to get sure. and stuff became more uh, valuable than money in some cases. Glass and aluminum and metal and My rubber bands. My prediction is more chicken coops so people can have their own eggs. Entirely possible. And victory gardens, which were the gardens people planted after World War II or during World War II so they could grow their own vegetables and things like well, that. Well, so I like how you're going with the positive, and that's yeah, where I was because going. because seeds are less expensive than paying yeah. for more expensive vegetables. But people will become less dependent. Yes, that's and right. I think we're I th- see I think ultimately this is the reason I think the meta universe thing is mm-hmm. pretty much some bullshit too. I yeah. mean I've been reading a lot about that. Mm-hmm. So the assumption is and the uh, that people uh, people that are um, uh, geared a certain way assume that people want to be taken care of. And now I am being political but such is the way. People underestimate the fact that most people want more than anything to be independent that's right. not dependent. Freedom. Freedom. Most pe- most of these prognosticators are uh, basing their uh, predictions right on the idea that people want to be dependent, and I don't think that's true. That hasn't been my either. observation at all. When given the opportunity to be uh, to right. be free mm-hmm. or to be dependent, people always choose 
to be free. The reason that some people want to uh, convince you that most people want to be dependent is because they want people to be dependent on them. That's right. And again, not to be political, just to be, you know, as well, a, an it, anthropologist in a sense. I read an article that uh, the question was, why is it that Americans have this resistance to being told what to do vaccine-wise versus other countries which are like, okay, let's just go do it. And the premise wasn't even really political necessarily. They were saying Americans have this underlying sense of freedom from the beginning that they just don't like being told what to do. And they interviewed people that were like, I don't have a problem with the vaccine. I have a problem with being told that I have to get the vaccine, which I think is interesting that, that there is this, uh, you know, underlying theme of freedom. You know, we're American. At the and end and of the just day. because Julie is not being sensitive to the political natures of talking about yeah. the vaccine. I know. Well, the, I, we, we are both vaccinated. My mom just got her uh, booster vaccine yesterday. We're going to get our daughter vaccinated. So we're not anti-vaccine. But again, this is going back to the very DNA of, of Americans, sure. really, as the, as the desire not to be dependent. Right. And But it is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about just, obviously, the government wants you to be dependent on it, especially, sure, you course. know, left-leaning governments. Mm -hmm. But also corporations want you to be dependent, too. Yep. And can you imagine this fantasy that Mark Zuckerberg has that we're all going to be wearing these things and checking into the metaverse? If you guys haven't seen well, um, Ready Player One which is very nerdy, but you all should get that movie. That's going to be your homework from today's show. Watch the movie Ready Player One this weekend, and you'll get a sort of a, I think, a, a vision of what Mark's referring to. You know, they, they think literally that people are going to wake up in the morning, do their morning whatevers, right? Um, and then they're going to sit down in some chair and plug, put on, right and, and plug right in. Will there be people that do that? Yes. But I truthfully, I cannot conceive that – but that's what's gonna, the ramification? That, I, that's not well. Here's the ramifications: yeah. the people that plug in are going to lose out on life, yep. and the people that don't plug in are going to be the winners. They're going to mm -hmm. they're going to own the world. They're going to own the universe. I think you're right, and I think that, it's going to be an advantage not yeah. to be a plugger enter. Right, and I think that people get bored with it faster than maybe predicted. I look at you know Zoe even could because you know every kid can get every app right. So she'll she'll be like really she was addicted to this thing called Dragon City for like two weeks. It's all she wanted to do. And then one day she just got over it. And I wonder whether there will be plug-in fatigue at some point where people will just be like, yeah, it was great for a while, but now, you know, I'm not into it. So I think there's a lot of different angles that you can watch on that. People, the technologists in particular, they mm -hmm. underestimate um, the, thing, the thing that's hardwired into all of us not to be dependent. Yes. Uh, and I, so I also look, for example, our coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Our coaching is one of the tenets of what we try to get everyone to understand is as much as you can avoid building your mansion or your house, your future on land you don't own. And we t made it land you don't own because it's a real estate analogy. But don't build your business on things like, for example, if you guys have built your business on uh, buying leads from Zillow, how'd that work out? If you built your business on branding and social media, how's that working out? You guys get the point? You don't own, the, you can't own it. So you don't, uh, you can't control the longevity of it. All it takes is, for example, uh, you know, the SEO gods decide, that'd be Google, to decide to change a couple things in the algorithms and all the years you spent building your SEO just goes out the window. Those are the types of things that happen when you build your business on land you don't own. But that's the exact same thing that we're sensing is happening amongst agents. So many agents, especially the younger ones, mm -hmm. I actually, have, I have more optimism yeah. about the people that should be more into social media mm -hmm. than the people are the people that are younger, the millennials mm -hmm. and, the, and the ones younger. 
I actually think they're the ones that are the smartest with regards to what social media is and isn't. Mm -hmm. And I'm noticing that our podcasts and just general, uh, you know, our feedback they're getting from people is that they know what it is and it isn't. And they're the ones that are embracing the idea that they're going to uh, unplug from this sort of meta universe, mm -hmm. social, online, whatever, sure. and they're going to learn real communication skills. And it's going to give them a huge advantage in the it, world. It is. And that's ultimately the reason that's what's motivating them. Mm -hmm. Because if they know how to communicate and their competitors sure. don't, because their competitors are making TikTok videos of them yeah. dancing around for sale sign. I know. And how asinine is that? Yeah. And they're believing all of this. And they're the ones that are learning their scripts and their dialogues, what mm -hmm. to say and how to say it. Sure. They're going to kick ass in their marketplace. Definitely. We, we see that with coaching clients that, you know, there's a joke amongst our premier coaching agents, right? We play challenges and victories on our Facebook Live. And one of the things is, you know, to share your victories. And many, many times they circle back to the basic coaching tenant called pick up the damn phone. Yeah. Okay. And so they'll talk to each other and they'll say, when somebody will post, well, I texted and emailed, but I haven't heard back. And people are like, pick up the damn phone. Go there. Knock on the door. That have real conversation. You don't have to. That Doesn't that just intuitively make sense to all of you? Look, we, Julie and I, well, I'll just be honest. I have gotten myself in hot trouble, uh, hot water with some of these um, different companies that sell bullshit to you guys. I'm, I, I have I made sure. a commitment that a couple years ago, Julie and I were not going to hold back with regards it's unfiltered, fluff-free, no BS information. That's the reason you guys listen to us. So much of the crap that's out there is predicated and built around the idea. It, it's built on a lie. Mm -hmm. The lie is that you can build your business based on passive. The lie is that you can drip on people and the business will come to you. The lie is that you can somehow, you know, woo or romance people through your social networking and all your pretty pictures and inspirational <laughs> quotes and all that crap on Instagram in order to get people to come to you. The lie is you don't have to base your business on skills and guys, the lie is you can build your business on land that you don't own. Get it? That's the lie. And why are they telling you that lie? Because they want you to buy what they have for sale. They want you to hit the easy button. Exactly. And you want to hit the easy button, don't you? <laughs> yes, we know you do. But you know what makes people call? It's very simple. Be the listing agent. Yeah, be the have listing agent. Have what they agent. want. Right. I mean, you. I mean, honestly, real estate <laughs> is the simplest business. In the easiest business to make the most money helping the most people that we have ever come as across. As long as you systematize it and you're very clear on everybody what wants makes it. people call. Yes. Everybody wants you what you've got Especially now. Yeah, but you, you guys make it too damn complicated. i got yeah. to build a team. got to build on my logo, my website, my double funnels, my double page. engine, all this stuff. No, you don't. What you have to learn how to do is be a proactive lead generator. You have to know what your real estate magic number is. You have to know what the, the essence of what the best part of what a real estate business is. And by the way, the essence, the best part of what the business is, you cannot be disintermediated. There's no technologist that's going to be able to remove the relationship or uh, dumb down the relationship or the need for a human to human relationship between you and a seller. That's why, that's the reason that Julie and I focus on having you guys be listing agents because all other facets of the business, and we mean this quite literally, are, they're, they're built on thin ice. Look what's happening to buyer agency right now. It's going to get worse next year. Buyer agents, don't look, new agents listening to us. I realize that the world is telling you to go work buyers first. You, that's not a bad idea. We think you should work some buyers. Don't buy your damn buyer leads. Go get them from open houses. Earn your buyer leads. Be proactive with getting your buyer leads. Ever, the world tells you guys when you get your licenses, you have to join a team. No, you don't. Matter of fact, for many of you, that's one of the worst things you can do. We get emails and messages every single day. I joined a team. They don't do anything for me. The only business I've gotten, I've gotten on my own. That's it's actually right. my next call. 
Oh, it Funny is? that you mentioned that. Yeah. It's, it, it is exactly that profile. It, so, look, you don't have to believe the things that everybody else says. As a matter of fact, it pays you in a market like this to be a skeptic because all of this Mickey Mouse has come into the industry since really 2008 because there's been so much money. There's been all these uh, real estate tech companies that have come in and they're all building these little widgets that are essentially placating your, I have to get more leads. I don't know how to be a proactive lead generator. They're trying to convince you it's harder than it is. It's not. When you look at the top producing agents in the country, and I'm going to really drill down on what that means. Top producing, not necessarily by the most units sold, not necessarily by the uh, biggest dollar volume, but the most profit, right? The ones making the most profit. Because remember, guys, your biz the product of your business is making profit. And with your that profit, you reinvest it. Somebody making $300,000 or $250,000 gross or even $100,000 gross, if that person is running a smart, proactive lead, uh, uh, you know, proactive lead generation-based business, they're going to keep you know, $80,000, $90,000. Well, guys, here's the scary fact. When you look at some of the profit and loss statements from some of these teams and these brokers that might make $800, a million dollars a year, they're making the exact same amount. They're going to make net around $100,000, $120,000. And yet they have all this added liability and this hassle and this time. Not to mention this... the stress of pumping twice the deals that you might need if you were not on a big team with all those expenses. And you guys get into business and as everyone tell you, you plug into the you know, misinformation train, the plug in, uh, the misinformation trains telling you to spend your money, do this, do this, do the other thing. What we want you to be is independent. What we want you to do is learn how to build a business that's based on profit. Your output, the product of your business is profit. Is anyone else saying to the, all this to you guys in the real estate industry? Nope. Nope. They're not. So listen, if you haven't done your 2022 business plan yet, it's very simple for you. Just text the, uh, the numbers 2022 to 47372. Text the numbers 2022 to 47372. T uh, 2022 to 47372. We're going to text you back your real estate business plan. Fill that in. 63 pages. Probably 75% of it is educational. The rest of it's the fill in the blank business plan. Julie and I are going to get to more predictions uh, tomorrow. Guys, listen, thank you for continuing to make this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals um, in at least the United States. Please, please give us an early Christmas present and uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes. It does matter. Throw in a couple compliment, comments. It doesn't take you long. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does mean a lot to us. Um, it, it is your way, essentially. That is your price of admission for, the, for this podcast, if I might be so bold, right? What that then does is it tells iTunes, it says this podcast is valuable to uh, real estate professionals, not just the United States, around the world. Help us to grow the audience so that we can return sanity to this industry. This industry, believe it or not, it, it is the best business you could possibly be in. Every aspect of real estate is the dream scenario for anyone starting a business. This should be how you are rolling out your 2022 mindset, that you're in the right place, you're in the right time, you're absolutely positively, you're, every, the move you made getting your license is all fantastic. Look, if you've got some bumps and some bruises, that's okay. That comes with the territory. The wind is at your back as long as you don't turn around. Your move now is get your 2022 business plan done. Text 2022 to 47372. In the meantime, guys, we are going to pick up where we left off um, today, tomorrow. And if you have any questions or suggestions, please remember you can text me directly at 512-758-0206. Don't call. There will never be a phone that gets answered. <laughs> yeah, I will not answer, but do text. Any ideas, text me directly at 512-758-0206. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.